0: A jewel in the desert.
1: A round city full of merchants, rulers, and scholars.
0: The great minds of the Abbasid Empire.
1: This is Figures of Baghdad. Hello, fellow travelers. Welcome to Figures of Baghdad. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali. You know, Ali, I've loved hanging out with all the scholars, but I'm sort of missing the juicy politics, especially after all the drama of the War of the Two Brothers.
0: How about this, Dina? Let's visit in with the Khalifs and see what they've been up to since we last saw them.
1: Yes, let's visit the palace. Who's the Khalif now?
0: Well, here's the issue. We first have to decide which palace.
1: Ooh, good point. We have the splendid palaces, the Palace of the Golden Gate or the Palace of Eternity.
0: And by this time in the 9th century, there were even more. You see, after the war with the two brothers, something had shifted in the Abbasid empire.
1: Al-Ma'moon stabilised the empire after the civil war and had re-established the caliphate. But things were different now. The Abbasids were a powerful family still, but they had to manage even more factions.
0: And that would become a major challenge for them. So after Al-Ma'moon dies unexpectedly, his younger brother Al-Mutasim becomes khalif. And he does something extraordinary. He builds a new capital.
1: Wait, wait, wait. But what about Baghdad? What about its symbolism, its location and its history? That's literally like a president deciding to build a new capital instead of DC or a prime minister deciding a new capital instead of
0: London. That was kind of the problem. Baghdad had too much history. Mutasim wanted a clean break, somewhere he could consolidate power for himself. So he moved a little north by about 60 miles or so and established Samarra in 836 CE.
1: Ah, so close enough to Baghdad that he could travel there, but somewhere completely his own that was still connected to the round city. How did everyone react, Ali? I mean, Baghdad was such an important symbolic force in Abbasid politics.
0: I mean, there was definitely a great deal of controversy, but Mutasim had created a private army of sorts. The war of the two brothers had highlighted that tension between the different political and military factions. So he wanted an army directly loyal to him. And when you have an army directly loyal to you, people can't say too much.
1: Ah, now I'm starting to see. New city, new army, a very clever strategy that would centralise power in the caliph.
0: So he brought in these Turkish soldiers described as mercenaries or slave soldiers. Our old friend, actually, al-Jahiz, called them the best of warriors, masters of the horse and archery.
1: Wow, that would make them a very strong base to build your support on. A strong, loyal army, your own capital. Al-Martazan was changing the caliphate completely.
0: And Samar would reflect that. As we arrive, we would see these grand palaces, larger than the ones we've seen in Baghdad. A beautiful new grand mosque with a spiraling minaret and fortresses of guards all around.
1: Oh, there's actually a mosque in Cairo, Mosque of Ibn Tulun, and it has a spiral there as well. Is that what inspired it?
0: Yes, inspired from Samara.
1: Ah, okay. So Samarra would be the military and political capital and Baghdad would be the capital for the people, the cultural hub.
0: Very much so. But this new militaristic warrior caliphate could only be supported if the caliph himself was a warrior who could command the loyalty of this new powerful elite guard. So, for example, Mutasim himself would lead expeditions. In 838, he would lead his new Turkish army against Theophilos in the battle against the Byzantine Empire. He would defeat them and personally take the gates of the city back to his new city and set it up as the gate to his own palace.
1: Wow, really cementing a new style for the Abbasids here. A warrior city for a warrior caliph. But if you weren't a warrior caliph, you could get into trouble. The same force that was meant to be loyal could also be difficult to manage.
0: And that's what happens to Matawakal. So let's travel to Samarra. We take a comfortable barge up the river, floating out of Baghdad with its bustle and cacophony of color and sound. We make our way up north to the new city of Samarra. It's entirely different. It's a city of palaces and soldiers, where Baghdad was a city of science, of mathematics and celestial harmony, all reflecting the glory of God and, of course, subtly the Khalif. Samarra was purely about the Khalif one medieval historian describes it and says, the caliph had it decorated with great images of gold and silver and made a great pool whose surface inside and out was in plates of silver. He put on it a tree made of gold in which birds tweeted and whistled. These were the birds and trees we talked about with the Banu Musa, that mechanical tree that they made. This is the description of it. He had a great throne made of gold which there were two images of huge lions and the steps to it had images of lions and eagles and other things, just like the throne of Solomon.
1: I love your descriptions, Ali. It's my favourite part of this, by the way. And I love... credit to
0: the medieval historians.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's the way you delivered it. <laughs> Let me get this straight. Samara is a city of soldiers. It's a military city. It's a city that completely centres the caliph, and a city that's separate from the population of Baghdad, separated by a wall of soldiers.
0: And I mean, think about what that means when the palace is surrounded by military garrisons. Under Matasem, it was a symbol of how powerful the khalif was. Under Mutawakal, it would be a threat to the khalif himself.
1: It's a real shift from what we've discussed about everything being accessible, like mm-hmm. the palace or the house of wisdom, and I can already see where this is headed. I'm assuming Mutawakkil is a very different sort of khalif than his father.
0: Yeah, where Mutawakkil was a warrior caliph, Al-Mutawakkil was an artsy khalif. After his brother died, he was appointed by several powerful members of Samara's court, and he immediately began ousting those figures.
1: Probably not a good idea to take on powerful figures right in the beginning of your reign it sounds like a really good way to make enemies. I mean, we talked about the difference between smart management mm-hmm. and bad management. Don't change things too quickly.
0: True, but al mutawakkil had some grudges to settle. In fact, there was this advisor, Ibn al-Zayt, who he had come to and asked for help and Ibn al-Zayt had publicly embarrassed him. So Mutawakal waited, keeping those hate fires burning until he became khalif and then he stripped him of all his possessions, threw him in jail, and kept him alive for days until he died from lack of sleep.
1: Oh, now that is a dish best served cold. Maybe not a good idea, though, to piss off someone who's eventually going to be a ruler?
0: Never a wise idea, but I mean, it really speaks to Matawakil's insecure position also. He did not command the same loyalty of others. Only a year later, he would do the same thing to Etach, the head of the guard. In 848, the head of the Turkish guard would be forced to go on pilgrimage and Once there, all his property would be confiscated. So when Etah returns, it's easy to execute him.
1: Mm. It sounds like he is consolidating his power in a way. He is removing all the powerful members of Samara's court and establishing a new base.
0: Yeah. Mutawakal is moving that capital away from a military one established by his father and creating a new one based off of this idea of splendor.
1: I like the idea of splendour, I'm envisioning imposing but beautiful courts, people with colourful robes, poets reciting poetry, elaborate feasts and courtiers flocking around the caliph.
0: Ah, your visions are true. For Matawakal, he would adopt this more Persian style of monarchy and prestige. And the culture adapted with him. It became more luxuriant, more ostentatious. They went from this warrior scholarly elite of Furasia that we talked about last season to Zarafa or Zarif.
1: In Arabic, zarafa would mean interesting. This is still true to this day. It is the art of conversation, of symbolism and interaction. Everything has a meaning. You know, the gift you give, the color of the clothes you wear, the food you present. It's a culture of communication where everything you do conveys something. It governs hospitality and parties and social interactions, and all of it is tied to poetry and its symbolism. We're a deep people.
0: <laughs> That's very true. It's a very beautiful <laughs> and artistic style of etiquette. I mean, even the gardens would have further symbolism in this time period. New types of flowers and plants were introduced by Motawakel. who was particularly obsessed with the rose.
1: The rose! Is that why so many Middle Eastern gardens have roses today, Ali?
0: Yeah, a lot of the cultural values we've talked about, whether that spiral minaret or now roses, or even the culture of Zarafa and Zarif, come from this time period. He in fact used to call the rose the king of flowers, so he had them planted everywhere. He was also obsessed with oud,
1: Oh, my God. Middle Easterners are still obsessed with it, Ali. They love oud. It's in, like, every fragrance. It's a deep woody smell, and it's burned in incense on burners, especially if you go into a home, but it's also put in a lot of perfumes. And it's super expensive.
0: Yeah, I think it's called black gold or something like that, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: So, Al-Mutawakal actually heard about this scent that was so heavenly, and so he sends his envoy all the way to India to go and get some for him.
1: That's passion right there.
0: (laughs) It really is. Go to India and get me some perfume.
1: (laughs) I know, right? If only... I mean, we can do that now online shopping, right? (laughs) The gardens have been so fragrant and beautiful. With all the importing of flowers and resins and plants we have a little bit of garden revolution on our hands.
0: I mean gardens were always important but now they became even more so. It became a cultural practice in fact to nap in your garden near the running water fountain to keep cool and that makes sense. It's a very hot area so the garden with the water would be the coolest place. There was a, a very famous poet, Ibrahim al musali who would nap in this garden where two jinn, in the form of cats would come and teach him poetry but they warned him that if he ever taught his poetry to anyone else they would turn those people into cats
1: is that a bad thing
0: i don't think so to
1: be turned into a cat i
0: kind of like cats it's a good life
1: i was just gonna say they have a very sweet life (laughs) cat teachers i mean that is a new one honestly this all sounds very heavenly beautiful gardens luxurious courts Fun poetry? I just don't see the problem, Ali.
0: Well, if you build a military city with a new type of politics based on the military, and then you spend your times building gardens and having parties, you're probably going to piss off that military.
1: And in a city like Samara, you are literally surrounded by the new soldiers you've elevated. Garrisons all around, but... I have to ask Ali, why were they so annoyed that he was enjoying his time in the gardens?
0: Well, they wanted war. They're soldiers. They wanted more action. Because if they get action, they get booty. They get treasure. They get gold. And that was Mutawakal's undoing. One night, when he had gathered with his close friends, he was drinking and eating. His own Turkish guards decided that they were going to bring him to an end. They wanted a new caliph, a warrior caliph that would lead them into battle and bring them new wealth. So in the dead of the night, when the caliph had been just a little drunk, having just a little bit too much wine, they snuck into the palace. They were the guards who were going to question them. Led by Bura the Ox, they march into the Khalif's throne room. The Khalif's friends throw themselves over the Khalif in order to protect him, but they swing with their swords, killing them first. Then they strike at the Khalif. For the first time, the white robes of the Khalif would be stained with blood.
1: The murder of a caliph. Caliphs have been killed before, but this seems very different, Ali. Your own troops turning on you. It also really makes clear how powerful the Turkish soldiers were at that time. Even if Mu'tasim and Mutawakkil were trying to consolidate the power of the caliph again, the Abbasids were very different. They are not as powerful as they once were.
0: It's a completely different political landscape. The death of Mutawakkil would usher in the anarchy in Samarra. After that, there would be a massive succession crisis between Al-Muntasir on one side and al mutazz on the other side.
1: So even though Al-Ma'mun stabilised the empire in his lifetime and his successor Muatassim consolidated the power for a brief time, the fractures were too big. Things had changed too much. The civil war had changed the Abbasid empire. There would be no anarchy in Samarra without the war of two brothers.
0: Yeah, and the fact that they now had two capitals was emblematic of that fracture. Baghdad would continue on. The Abbasids would continue on. They would still be a powerful empire, but something had changed. Their power was waning.
1: The politics of this time period is so fraught. From civil wars between brothers, to rebellion from your own troops, to even competing capitals— Motowaka's cultural innovations couldn't stem the changing politics. What a fascinating time with fascinating people. And we have so many more cool people to visit that you will encounter in the game. Thank you for all coming along. I'm Dina. And
0: I'm Ali. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Be sure to subscribe to the Echoes of History podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Figures of Baghdad. See you next time, fellow travelers. Hi, guys. Ali here. Before we go, I just want to give a shout out to Daniel Bolelli at History on Fire. History on Fire is a long-form award-winning podcast. Each episode is a deep dive into the larger-than-life characters and some of the most emotionally intense moments in human experience. If you like your history to be accurate but also enjoyable and epic, check out History on Fire wherever you listen to podcasts.